Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the exciting things about discovering the complete forgiveness of sins, discovering and recognizing that God does not hold our sins against us anymore, is that we can begin to see that our God truly accepts us. He accepts us perfectly. He does not hold any of our sins against us, and so there is no cause, there is no reason why He would reject us, why He would be ashamed of us. This is a very important thing to discover, that one of the implications of the complete forgiveness of sins is that we can now be accepted by our God. And the reason why This is so important, and yet so often it's underestimated. Why it is so important is because God created us with a need to be accepted. He created us to have this need. You know, sometimes people will look at this need that they have deep down inside within them, and they will say that the need is their enemy. You know, if I just didn't need to be accepted, then everything would be just fine. But that definitely is not the case. Our God created us to have this need. There is nothing evil, nothing wrong with needing to be accepted. What's wrong or where the evil tends to come from is when we turn to the world to obtain our acceptance. That's where it becomes an issue. Because our God created us in such a way that only he personally can meet the need that we have for acceptance. He has reserved this for himself, and he will share this with no one. But this is a need that we have, and you know, sometimes what people will do is they will turn to the world in order to obtain acceptance from the world. And one of the ways that people manifest this is by trying to esteem a sense of value. They try to obtain value in various things. One of the ways that people try to obtain their value or to assert their value is to measure it with their productivity. People will obtain certain types of employment or they will pursue certain types of employment, for example, that others will hold in high esteem or an individual can obtain a substantial amount of compensation for that type of employment and so they will measure their value by the compensation that they will receive from the employment that they pursue or from the type of employment that people hold in high esteem. People will obtain their sense of value in that way. Sometimes people will pursue popularity if there are many people who have an interest in who they are or what they are doing, then they can assert their sense of value through their popularity or just simply by their wealth. If they have a lot of money, for example, then they can say that they are of great value because they are able to measure their value by the things that they possess, the things that they have. But this is a trap. This is something that people will often pursue, 
But this takes them away from the love of God. It takes them away from the acceptance of God. It's a diversion. It is a temptation, according to the flesh, that suggests that you can obtain your acceptance from others by either earning it, by deserving it, or just simply by doing things that other people like. But deep down inside, where this comes from, it comes from our need for acceptance that God created us to have. This is a similar experience that many people have when they pursue religion. Religion will quite often give people an opportunity to become a better person by following the rules and regulations that people establish. If you will obey certain commandments, if you will live in a certain way, then you will be considered to be an individual of value, of high value. This is one of the attractions of religion and why people will sometimes pursue religion because they can esteem their value that way. They can obtain their acceptance from other people in that way, perhaps even acceptance from God. Sometimes people will assert their value by recognizing that God created them in his image. There's a passage in the scriptures, for example, that people often refer to in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Don't be distracted by him saying, let us make man in our image. In Hebrew, the Lord is often referred to in the plural in order to ensure that he cannot be defined by any singular attribute alone. That's what it means. It's simply a Hebrew idiomatic expression in order to say that God cannot be defined in any singular way. Don't be distracted by that. What people are normally looking for, though, is some way of esteeming a sense of value, a sense of importance, and to say that we are created in the image of God provides people with a tremendous amount of value. You can then assert yourself, you can present yourself as being one who was created, who is created in the image of God, and because of that, you are important you can esteem a tremendous amount of pride by recognizing that God created you in his image, uniquely in his image compared to all of the other things that God created. But are we truly in the image of God? This is something that we should perhaps question, because if you take a look around, you might notice that there are many people who don't appear to be in the image of God, at least if we were to evaluate their behavior, if we were to evaluate their hearts, the expressed manifestation of who they are. I mean, if we are in the image of God, then I would expect to see a little bit more evidence concerning that. Because to me, there is a tremendous amount of evidence that suggests that something's wrong. I mean, if there was an alien, perhaps just to give a speculative example, if there was an alien who came down to earth because he heard that God created man in his image 
And this alien wanted to see what God looked like, or he wanted to see what God was about, or some manifestation, a reflection of him, so that perhaps this alien might grow to know more about this God who created the earth and all that is in it. So he comes down for vacation, perhaps, something like that, and he explores the world, and he studies humanity. Do you suppose that he would be excited to discover humanity? He would be excited to see the reflection of God, the image of God, that we would portray God, that he would grow to know this God in a greater way. No, I personally think that he's going to be disappointed, that he is going to experience a significant amount of disappointment because we do not appear to present our God in any way whatsoever. When you look at the nature of sin, the nature of the flesh, the nature of humanity, Where is the image of God? Well, the reason why it truly is difficult to identify and why people might get quite excited by discovering this, because now they can assert their value in something that they never saw before or never understood before, well, of course not, because we don't have much to look at to give us some sense of validation concerning this. You know, when people see that we were created in the image of God, they cling to this, but it's because of the need for acceptance that they have within them. And personally, I have found, as I've had discussions with people about this subject, I have found that they have not fully embraced the forgiveness of sins. And so they have not fully embraced the acceptance of God by his forgiveness, and so they cling to this, hoping that maybe this will provide them with a way of esteeming a sense of value and pride. But folks, we are not in the image of God in the same way that God created Adam and Eve. There were some changes that occurred after God created Adam. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and the consequence of his sin was spiritual death. That was the consequence. The presence of God was withdrawn from within Adam. He became spiritually dead according to the law. The Lord said that in the day, and it says clearly the day, in the language that this was written in, it says mut tamut, which means in that day, absolutely, without exception, without question, in that moment, you will die if you eat from the wrong tree. For in the day that you eat of it, In that day, you will surely die. It says explicitly then, in that moment, it was a spiritual death that had occurred. And the physical death that Adam experienced 930 years later was his way out of this world, which, of course, is not heaven, and it's not the Garden of Eden. The physical death, in many ways, was a blessing. It was a way for Adam to be extracted out of here because of the changes that God made in this world. He made a number of changes. Women would have pain in childbirth. The ground would bring forth weeds, you know, stuff like that. Many changes occurred, and one of the changes that occurred was that mankind was no longer in the image of God. That changed. Consider Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, where it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God, that's true. But, continue on, into verse 2, He created them male and female and blessed them, and called them mankind in the day they were created. 
And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. But his image had changed. There was a change in the image of Adam in the sense that Seth was born, all of the children of Adam and Eve were born in the image of Adam, but the image of Adam had changed. There was a significant change that had occurred as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. The Spirit of God was withdrawn from within Adam, and because of that, he died spiritually. But what I would like you to consider is from the point of view of the image There was a dramatic change, and you know, this is difficult to understand without understanding the definition of the word that is used in order to describe the image. And so, I'm going to take a moment and explain that. You see, the word that was used is a word that is used in Hebrew for the purpose of describing a reflection. It is used to describe the reflection that you would see off of a mirror or off a body of water And so a better way of understanding this is to say that Adam reflected God in the sense that he received something from God. And I believe that that is a description of the relationship that he had with his God and that he reflected that relationship in such a way that he functioned. He functioned in a way that people could see the living God manifested within and through him. Because the dependent relationship that he created us for, the dependent relationship provided an opportunity for us to function in the sense that we could be at peace, in the sense that we could make decisions, in the sense that the way that we behaved would be a reflection. It would be the result of the relationship that we had with our God. And this manifestation would show the character of God in such a way that the invisible God would be manifested in a visible way within and through us so that the invisible God could show himself in a subtle way so that people could say that they can see their God in a small way as he is reflected within and through us. That's what it means. But in order for this to be accomplished, we have to have a relationship with our God. And in order to have that, we have to have him dwelling within us. If we are going to have the relationship that he created us for, we have to have him dwelling within us in order to experience this transaction so that our God could reflect himself within and through us so that we would be in his image in that sense. But because of the fall of humanity, his spirit was withdrawn. His spirit was withdrawn from within us. We were no longer loved by our God. We were no longer accepted by our God. And so what do we reflect? We reflect not what we have, but what we do not have. That's the description of humanity since Adam and Eve, and that's what it means to be in the image of Adam. It means that you live in the image of what it's like not to have God, that you are not in the image of God as he originally created man to be, you are now in an image or you now reflect the absence of God, what you do not have as opposed to what you should have. That's the change that occurred when Adam lost the Holy Spirit of God because of his sin 
according to the law that God established in the Garden of Eden. Now, one of the exciting things about the gospel, about the new covenant, is that the Lord provided a way for him to restore the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. He did this through the complete forgiveness of sins, and through the forgiveness of sins, we can then recognize that he can now accept us and love us perfectly, without hesitation, without question. He can embrace us in a similar way that he would have been able to embrace Adam and Eve when he originally created them before they fell in the garden. And he has provided the Holy Spirit to be restored within us so that we can be resurrected, we can be made alive, so that we can now experience a fulfilling relationship with our God. But we are not like the old creation. We are now what is called a new creation in Christ Jesus, as it says in the scriptures, that we are now a new creation born again by the Spirit of God. Not like the old, but something new. But in this relationship that we can now have, because we are a child of God, in this relationship, we can begin to reflect our God once again so that we can begin to function in such a way that we are in the image of God. Not in the same way that Adam was, in a different way. But it is true that once we are born again by the Spirit of God, we can now say with great confidence that we are in the image of God We are just in the image of God in a different way than Adam and Eve once were. Now, when we understand the gospel, especially in the context of forgiveness and his mercy, there is no opportunity to assert any sense of pride by recognizing that we as born-again believers, as children of God, are in the image of God because we know full well that this is only because of his grace and mercy, because of his forgiveness, not because of his creative capacity or because he made us something special or unique, nothing like that at all. We know, according to the gospel, that this is because of his grace and mercy. And so if we assert any sense of pride or value because of this new identity that we have in terms of being in his image, then I personally believe that we have a poor understanding of his forgiveness and mercy. We have a poor understanding of the gospel and the relationship that he has called us to. So this is what it means to be in the image of God. Yes, Adam was created in his image, but when he fell, he then became a being who was no longer in the image of God and all of his children were then born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. But because of what the Messiah has accomplished for us through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, we can now be the recipients of this relationship that our God wants to have with us. And through this relationship, by him meeting the deepest needs of our hearts, we will then begin to live in a different way as he changes us, as he transforms us, as he matures us. Yes, we will experience a change in our being that will be manifested in our flesh. I really do believe that this will occur as a person matures and grows in their faith. And when this takes place, then this change that will be observed in a physical, visible, and audible way, this change will be the opportunity for people to see the true and living God as he lives his life within and through us so that the invisible God 
will once again be able to manifest himself within and through his creation so that the invisible God can be manifested in a visible way as he reflects himself within and through us so that the image of God can be portrayed within and through the new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is accomplished through, of course, his salvation and through our dependency on him. So through this explanation of the image of God, I want you to see how important it is to really understand the gospel, because the gospel is what defines circumstances such as this. It is the gospel that can make corrections to a misunderstanding such as this. The good news of the gospel is that our God has provided forgiveness for the sins of humanity so that he could restore to us the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. And because there is no sin that has been left unforgiven, there is no sin that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us ever again. This is very similar to what people experience when they get sick and die, for example. If a person gets sick, and they die, let's assume that a person gets cancer, for example, and they die. There are two problems that need to be resolved. The first problem is the cancer, and then the second problem is the death that they experienced. And you have to resolve both. You can't just do one. For example, if you go to this person and you cure their cancer, this person who has died, that would certainly be impressive. But it's not going to help them a whole lot. Now you've just got a dead person who no longer has cancer. On the other hand, if you approach this individual and through the miraculous intervention of God, you manage to resurrect this person from the dead, or he resurrects this person from the dead, I would consider that to be quite impressive. But the problem is, is that if you did not cure the cancer first, then the cancer is going to kill them again. And so you must solve both problems and do both in order. First you cure the cancer, then you resurrect the individual from the dead, and now you have a complete solution. This is one way of recognizing the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection, that the event of the crucifixion dealt with the sin issue. In a similar way that a person would cure cancer, the forgiveness of sins dealt with the sin of humanity once and for all. But he did this so that he could provide salvation. You see, everyone in the world has been forgiven, but not everyone has been saved. Forgiveness is what makes salvation possible, but it certainly is not salvation. I understand that many people believe that forgiveness is salvation, and so that's a difference between myself and many others. There are many people who believe that, and I understand that, but I personally believe that the scriptures say that we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, but that we are saved by his life. For example, Romans chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. We are reconciled to him by the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This was accomplished through the event of his resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the event, and the meaning behind that event was that through the resurrection, he was able then to send the Holy Spirit to us that had been lost in Adam. He is offering the Holy Spirit to anyone who is willing to receive it. And through the receiving of the Holy Spirit, we can be resurrected by the indwelling presence of the life of God. 
And because the sin issue was completely resolved through the crucifixion, there is no sin that will cause the life of God to depart from us ever again. So by definition, the life that we now have is an eternal life, an everlasting life that we can experience right now and today and will carry us on into eternity after we physically die. But in the context of the image of God, we experience his life now and today by growing in the relationship that we can now have with him through his forgiveness, through his spirit dwelling within us. We can now, today, experience our God personally and through the transformation that he will do within us, he will express himself within and through us so that once again, his creation will be a reflection of who he is. Now, what can be very tempting when a person begins to grow in a relationship with their God, once you understand the gospel that he provided for forgiveness for your sins, so that he can restore to you the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam, sometimes out of great enthusiasm, expecting to experience the living God reflecting himself within and through us, we might decide to maybe help him out a little bit. For example, a person might try to live a holy life or try to find some way to get their flesh under control or try to engage in some holy works of righteousness, things like that. I want to encourage you to be very careful with regards to those things. The programs that I did on overcoming sin, for example, will give you some insights concerning what a person might pursue out of the energy of their flesh by trying to overcome the sin in their lives with the hope that they might be able, you know, to help God out a little bit. Instead, I would like to encourage you to discover more about the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus, the programs that I did on the will of God and our identity in Christ, will give you some very important insights into what you have now entered into and what it means to not only rest in what he has done, but also begin to live your life on the basis of what he has done and on the basis of what he has truly given to you. And as you grow in your understanding of what you have in Christ Jesus, as you live your life, he will live his life within and through you so that the invisible God will manifest himself in a visible way within and through you, his new creation. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,